You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, hey, it's Wednesday, and that means there's a fresh new episode of Fly on the Call here for you. This week, I'm talking to Sophia Greenberg of Riverbee. Their debut LP, Smart Mouth, is available now via Take This to Heart Records. In this episode, we talk all about Sophia's writing process, repurposing lyrics years later, the journey from acoustic open mics to the fuzzed-out power-pop sound on Smart Mouth, and a whole lot more. Enjoy. I guess just jumping right in, I gotta say uh, that I love the Baja Blast logo tee. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> that's that's definitely my go-to at Taco Bell. And I'm curious, are you a soda or a freeze person? And what kind of rounds out your order? <laughs> um, I'm definitely a soda person. Uh, I'm so mad that I will no longer be able to drink Mountain Dew because I don't support Pepsi as because uh, I use prison labor. But like, gosh, a nice Baja Blast and specifically a Black Bean Crunchwrap Supreme. And one of those, like, the potato grillers is mm. oh, yeah. phenomenal. I mean, getting into the album, though, um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like Smart Mouth is kind of, like, much more boisterous than, you know, the, the EP, the guide to oversharing. Um, what were kind of some of the things that led to that change in the sound? Yeah, so um, when we put out, the, well, when we were making the guide to oversharing, it, we didn't really have like a cohesive we didn't have a cohesive band or really like cohesive concepts for it it was kind of just like a co- small collection of songs that Tyler and I I dug out of my notebook so I've written about as of right now probably like 70 songs including Smart Mouth and um, the EP and we kind of just picked a few that we were like this has different sounds to it we want to just like put stuff out there to get gigs kind of a thing um, we, we recorded the EP like in his living room um, <laughs> and we just like had our friends come to his house and be like, Hey, do you want to work on it a little bit or put a guitar riff on it? And it was really just like friends hanging out, making weird songs. But I think with smart mouth, it was really just like, we finally had our full fledged band members and we had the time and ability to sit down with a recording engineer and really like hash out, what we wanted our sound to become, how we wanted to like um, evolve as a band. So it wasn't even thinking about this album, but kind of thinking of like, okay, if we make this, where do we want to go from there in terms of sound? Where can we go? Mm-hmm. And then, and then just being more of like um, more of a partnership and a collaborative effort rather than just me kind of being like, these are the songs that I'm going to make, and that's it. Like. Uh, we had more more thought behind what drums we wanted and how we wanted the bass to sound and everybody got to put pieces of themselves in it rather than 
uh, me and Tyler just kind of uh, rushing through something. <laughs> so it, it was really nice to have somebody else love songs enough to want to give input on them too, you know? For sure, for sure. Yeah, and I feel like the kind of like chunky guitars are one of the more unique parts of the River B sound, kind of, especially compared to like other power pop bands. How did you kind of like settle on those kinds of tones? Um, it was, it started kind of as an accident, I think. Um, so the first single that we put out as like a full band with all of our current members, so me, Tyler, AC, Doug Keller, Dan Nazario, um, the first song we put out was Maybe back in last October. And that was the first time like we started really thinking about our sound. And I remember Tyler, it was either a mistake or like um, just an experiment because he put the guitar super close to the amp when we were recording that created <laughs> that like big feedback sound. And I um, did a complete Kylo Ren impersonation <laughs> in Rise of Skywalker when he's like, more, more. <laughs> like, and I just realized I really liked that, that modest mouse. Uh, crunchy guitar sound if that makes sense i every song that we recorded that wasn't like out of tune or echoes or something i was like how crunchy can we get this like i want the most grit i want <laughs> i want weird nirvana Anis morissette guitars with like hop along like i just want to get weird with <laughs> everything and luckily enough everybody else did too so <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, with with a lot of the songs starting out kind of like acoustically and like the early performances being at like open mics and stuff, how did, you know, how did they kind of evolve once you brought them into the more electric realm and how they kind of like changed with the change in the sound? Oh my God. Honestly, putting them into electric sounds was my saving grace because every song that I make is Nose to Nose was the first song that I wrote on the electric guitar. So that, that automatically had a much different sound than any song I'd written. But every other song that I've written has always been on the acoustic and I've always played usually in like the four, four timing, like, and I, I play sad songs. I just make sad shit. Like I got bright eyes introduced to, to me way too early in life and death cab for cuties. So I've just always been writing like the saddest, like slowest acoustic songs. And luckily when I bring them to band practice, I have like, a, Dan, my drummer does like, metal stuff and pop punk things and tyler ac loves like vampire weekend and bruce springsteen and then doug does like primus and the pixies so they all have so much more energy behind their instruments than i genuinely bring because <laughs> mine's always like like how many times can i play lua and it doesn't get old <laughs> um so i really i rely heavily on like tyler tyler's very good at quickly coming up with with like really sick guitar riffs and cool um just like really great melodies like i think every like giving tree and nose to nose all of those like little ditties that he does on the guitar and all those little notes that he hits were definitely in like either the first or second take of recording the guitar parts just oh, like wow. messing around yeah tyler's incredible and then dan dan just puts so much energy behind the drums that like any song that I bring to practice, I know is not going to be a sad, slow song unless I <laughs> say it. Like, <laughs> I know it's immediately going to be like packed with energy. We're going to be speeding it up. It's going to like make me feel like I could punch the moon, which I never would do. But <laughs> um, so yeah, they just they bring so much energy that every sad song that I write, I remember. I'm like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna bring it up for me. It's fine. 
<laughs> and they have, did you like kind of the songs that existed in the slower forms did you find like their meanings changing to you or like the stuff that you're writing about now how that uh, the subjects changing oh yeah um I know like the Telltale Heart, for instance, when I was first playing that, just like on my guitar at open mic nights, it was, it was a much slower, like sadder song. And it was much less like defiant. Like, it's interesting that I recorded the song and when we put it out, I still thought it was just like kind of a sad but loud song, but everybody kind of who's listened to it has really resonated with how much energy and like um, kind of ferociousness it has in it. <laughs> and it's been very interesting to hear like all the songs that I thought were just going to be about how sad I was turn into these very like bitey, super pumped, like in your face jams. So I've been trying to write recently and like, I, I have to say I've, I've started double, like not second guessing, but like I've been thinking more critically about the meaning behind the songs that I'm making now, just because I know how energetic they're going to be once we're all together again. <laughs> so I'm, tr I'm trying to trying to uh, shift my focus in terms of like the song meanings and the words behind them. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of like the audience being part of that change in the meanings. How how was that kind of like letting you know your original intent go? Like, was it kind of weird for you, or uh, did you kind of embrace it right away? Oh, I embraced it because I just. Uh, what okay <laughs> when we made this album we finished recording it two days before quarantine started so i didn't know that we were really going to be putting this album out i had no idea that uh it was going to be it it's not like any it's not big or anything but i had no idea that it was like it wasn't going to just be something i put out onto soundcloud and just let it be um so hearing anybody like i've got a few dms about like oh, this song made me remember this part of my life and it was this. And it's, it's, it's nice to not feel so alone, but also it's nice to see them take on different forms. Mm -hmm. um, like Smart Mouth, for instance, that song, people are like, this is very defiant. This is about a destructive relationship. This is about <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's about sex. Like, it's, just about, it's just about being kinky, but wow. <laughs> like, it's, it's nice to see people's perceptions take on different forms. And I really... I. I find it very intriguing and I like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Smart Mouth and uh, the way I like kind of take, took it was, you know, you kind of like taking pride in the term um, and kind of like embracing it. And I'm, I was curious kind of like, what, what does it mean for you? And kind of like, why haven't you shied away from it as it's typically like, you know, more of a negative oh, yeah. connotation? <laughs> well, so the, my EP is called The Guide to Oversharing. And this album's called Smart Mouth because I have I have a history of like holding grudges and really um, holding on to things that people say to me or things that people call me. I've been, I've been, I'm okay. I'm gonna be very, I'm loud, I'm obnoxious. I'm a little abrasive. Like I'm just very in your face and unapologetic about who I am all the time. That's been me forever. And so when I was younger, a lot of people would call me a smart mouth because I'm sarcastic and loud. And I, I like reclaiming things that people try to use against me. So, I mean, the guide to oversharing at a holiday party, somebody once told me, they were like, you overshare more than anybody else I've ever met. And it hurt me at first because I was like, oh, I thought we were all just like having a nice time and being honest with each other. And instead of letting it like hurt me, I was like, oh, fuck you. I'm just going to use this as my album title and make money off of it then. So, <laughs> um, yeah, people used to call me a smart mouth all the time. And at first I was like, I don't understand. I 
I thought I was just like being myself. And so it's kind of me reclaiming that and like, being like, yeah, yeah, I do. And what, is that the worst you got? Is that what you're going to be, call me? Like, I don't care. Like, that's your most creative thing. Sure. I'll monetize off of it. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned that, you know, the kind of the release of this uh, uh, was, you know, very different than you kind of expected. Um, I mean, how has it kind of been navigating, you know, releasing music during a pandemic? It's been both like the most anxiety inducing, but also the most relieving. Um, I have a lot of gig anxiety. Like every time we would have a show, I would be like overcome with anxiety because I'd always be thinking about like, oh God, how many people are going to show up? Is something going to go wrong? Uh, Like just a million things would go through my head and I would genuinely have like anxiety attacks about not performing well enough or not doing well enough or nobody caring about the band and nobody coming and things like that. So I'm going to be honest, as much as I miss playing shows, I don't miss being nervous all of the time about that and having to constantly like promote a show that's on the same night as a million other cool bands and I'm like nobody's fucking gonna go to this whatever um but also it's like frustrating because this album like this album means so much to me and it means a lot to the rest of my band obviously and we just so desperately wanted to just celebrate it with our friends and our family and like be together and have a show or something and like I know that's so selfish but we really did and so it's a little like disheartening to know that we're probably not going to be able to do that for a long time because people are too inconvenienced by social <laughs> distancing and masks that they can't just shut the fuck up and deal with it. Um, but I'm excited because quarantine has given me a chance to kind of use the time to make a platform for myself without having to worry about promoting shows. Like I'm, I've gotten to make a lot of friends just over the internet with like a a few different bands near and far and talk about like our music and talk about things that we want to do. So it's nice to build relationships within this because I'm sure it'll bring great relationships out of it, if that makes sense. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, how has it kind of, you know, been creating that community? Like what have kind of some of the benefits been and um, how have you kind of like gone about, you know, the, the, the specifics of that? Well, I think I've just been, I've been more unafraid to like introduce myself to people online or like in Zoom con- like meetings or anything like that. It's really given me a chance to kind of shed my social anxieties that I would like alternatively have in a public space. Mm-hmm. Um, at, whenever I play a show or I go to shows, I, I have very bad social anxiety that like I either overperform when I try to talk to people and I know that can come across like super weird to a lot of humans. Or I kind of like go into a shell and only talk to people in my close circle so I don't get the chance to really open up and um, build relationships with other musicians or anything. And now I kind of have no choice being locked in my house for months than to like just reach out to other artists who are putting out stuff too because we're all just a community trying our best, especially in these weird times. So it's been nice to just like, hit other musicians up when they put something out or they make a post and like build a relationship and actually get to know people and have the time to be able to do that mm-hmm. without being worried about having to perform as anything like who I think I just stopped giving a fuck like 
what's the worst that's going to happen? You just don't respond to my DM and you block me. Like, I don't care. Nobody <laughs> has because I'm not weird, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, do you think that's something that's going to, you know, affect uh, like the performance aspect of the band once you're finally able to get back to live shows? I think so. I think it's also, it's, it's just, it's affected my outlook and like a lot of um, perspective that I have on the music scene as a whole. Uh, and I, I think it's very important that musicians take the time right now to really think about what they want the music scene to start looking like when this is over and how we can make it safer. And also, especially with the movement going on right now, I think it's given us a really good opportunity to look at how we're inviting um, a, a different kinds of people into the space too that is predominantly white held. And I really think that a combination between quarantine and the Black Lives Matter movement, all the things going on right now are going to open up a very interesting and I think really cool community after this is done. I And I'm really excited to see it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, like, who are some of the kind of, you mentioned, like, making a lot of more more connections and stuff and kind of becoming more friendly with people. Who are some of the, the bands and artists that you've, you know, really connected with recently? So in the beginning of quarantine, I actually, um, I, have you ever watched the show Love Island or heard of it? Uh, that sounds vaguely familiar, but I wouldn't be able to give you a synopsis off the top of my head. <laughs> so I promise this is going somewhere and I'm not just plugging a show that I love, but um, Love Island is a show where like strangers all meet on an island and they have to like couple up and win the competition as a couple, whatever. And the beginning of quarantine, I had to leave my house because I had termites. It was like a whole, of of course this would happen to me. My life has things happen where I'm like, this makes perfect fucking sense. Um, And I lived with a girl, Jenna, um, for like a month in quarantine. And she's a part of two amazing bands here in Philly, Chub Rub and Stillwater. And we had like only met maybe a few times before at shows and parties and hit it off so quickly and well and I've gotten so close to her and her bands are incredible and then there's um through like the label with Take This to Heart I've gotten to know a little bit of like the Sonderbombs and Barely Civil Mm. who are so cool Harmony Woods Sophie is amazing um it's uh High Noon as well as there's like a few others Pink Shift is from down in Baltimore like the amazing thing about quarantine is having the time to navigate multiple and different relationships. So I've been just so excited about meeting and getting to know all these different and cool people. Um, And also just like, I don't know, it's nice to, because every show that happens, there's like seven shows that happen the same night and I can never get to know anyone because I'm always going to my friends' shows. (laughs) Uh, So it's nice to meet people whose shows I otherwise wouldn't have been able to go to as well. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned earlier that um, you kind of weren't sure if this was just going to end up being like an album that you throw up on uh, SoundCloud or whatever. And I mean, you just mentioned the sign to take this to heart. How did that kind of relationship start and come about? (laughs) So Take This Heart Records started because I'm going to be very blunt with you. And it's the most wild thing of my life. I met someone on Tinder and we were talking and I sent them like a few of the rough mixes for my album just because we were talking about the music industry. That's how we started talking. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this is my band. Like, we're just trying to make this album right now. We're having a nice time. And they sent it to Joe. And I got an email like a few days later from Joe being like, hey, we love this 
music. Do you want to have a Zoom meeting and talk about it? And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, this record brought to you by Tinder? This is the weirdest thing that's ever <laughs> happened to me. And yeah, and then all of a sudden I'm on like a phone call with him at Jenna's house pacing throughout the whole home in the backyard. And um, we got we got signed to them. I think we... Um, sent like all the masters and did the artwork back in like late March, early April, I want to say like, mm-hmm. so we've been holding on to this for a while. Initially our album was supposed to come out May 22nd. We were without quarantine. We were just going to have, we were just going to self promote it, self put it out, have a show at Kyber pass pub. And it was going to be a nice little time, but every, everything changed. And now it's like, we're, we're, we're not, the album isn't like a billboard hit or anything, but we're definitely doing things that I didn't expect to happen. And I'm very delighted. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, what are some of those, you know, big milestones that you've hit that you've been really excited for? I mean, I, I love that uh, John Batiste from WXTN likes us. Uh, WXTN has been promoting our music a lot. And then I think the biggest thing that I'm going to be quite frank, almost made me shit my pants a little was NPR putting it on a few playlists, which was insane. Uh, I'm going to be honest, seeing the name Riverby next to Illuminati Hotties and 100 Gex made me <laughs> like cry because <laughs> uh, I love both of those groups so much. Um, it's just been wild. Like we got a review from Spain and I was just like, are you oh, wow. fucking kidding me? Like <laughs> I was looking on Spotify, like at our listeners and like our top three countries. It's like the United States, obviously uh germany and japan and i'm like what the fuck is why who is listening to this so it's just it, it's it's cool i don't know i'm having a nice time <laughs> for sure yeah i mean circling back to the the tinder thing i feel like that's a big opportunity for some girl marketing with some tinder bots you know it could, oh, could be the next no. cameo <laughs> oh god i feel like i really i remember thinking to myself about that i was just like yeah, that would that makes sense. Just another thing that, of course, my life would produce, because uh, <laughs> nothing nothing close to normal can happen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I mean, um, "Given Tree" is like one of the tracks that kind of stood out to me um, with the liter- literary reference to the Shel Silverstein book, uh, and kind of like dealing with you know a, an asymmetric relationship where one side is kind of like giving everything and the other side is kind of just taking. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how that song came together, um, like lyrically and musically? Yeah. So um, I wrote the lyrics to Giving Tree on a bus coming home from New York City when I saw Mitski's last show that she did in Central Park last year. Um, and Lucy Dacus opened up for her. And I remember I was like front row at the barricade watching Lucy Dacus. And I was like, this is the greatest inspiration I've ever gotten in my entire life. And I... I think I like I was just listening to Lucy Dacus on the bus ride home and all of a sudden I was just drawing in my notebooks. I didn't have any inspiration and I just started drawing trees and I remembered the specifically I remember the image of the giving tree like that the cover of the book of the little boy like grabbing the apple from the branches or whatever and I don't know why but like I just started writing it um and like I kind of had a composition for it like I said it was like a super simple acoustic song honestly the chords it's like g b minor d the whole time and some a in there but like i showed it to tyler who's kind of like my musical mastermind behind everything i show him all the songs and then he builds them even though he won't admit it um 
And he was like, I want this to sound like the 1975. <laughs> and, and so that's where like that is very uh, like 1975's first album in our heads a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we honestly used, we, we started with drums and we used the, a sample of Dancing Queen by ABBA <laughs> um, to do the timing and everything. And then we just built it in his basement one day. I think we, we, we had to have like finished that song like in his basement probably three days before we actually recorded it with the rest of the band. Um, yeah, it was really just like Tyler and I thinking of sounds that we loved. So we loved like the 1975's guitars, but we loved ABBA's drums and we like Modest Mouse's uh, rhythms and everything like that. So we just like to make Frankenstein monsters out of all the bands we like <laughs> to every song. Yeah, and I mean, earlier you mentioned, you know, you had like over 70 songs written. Um, d- does it kind of typically come together like qu- so quickly like that for you? Or is that, um, you know, more, at- more atypical? Um, it's, it's, my songs are very like, usually what I do is I like to go, I mean, before quarantine, I like to go to a diner or a coffee shop, obviously like a very, uh, let's be real, I, I am like every other musician and I like to write in public. And I would just um, kind of journal and I would just write a whole bunch of things in different books. And um, then I would take them home and I would sit down and I would take bits and pieces from what I've written over the course of a few days and put them together. Um, Giving Tree was a kind of a one-off in terms of just like actually sitting down and writing a song full out. The first verse I think I actually wrote when I was... 27 i think i wrote the first verse when i was 23 the first verse of that song was actually in a different song that i had written with the like second verse of telltale heart so so i I frankenstein monster all of my songs like they're all bits and pieces from older songs that i've kept and i rip apart and then i put back together in different ways when when i feel like it's time how did you kind of like develop that process uh (laughs) I have an um, intense amount of ADD that I got diagnosed with when I was younger. And it's just always, my mind always has worked in, it it, it almost, the closest thing I can describe it to is that my mind is kind of like a a patchwork quilt. (laughs) So there's just like a whole bunch of different things going on at once, but they all connect to, to each other in some way. It's like a connect the dots situation. So I think every song, almost every song I've written is usually in in that way unless something is truly uh inspiring me in the moment <laughs> um but almost everything i do even like guitar parts come to me in that sense and usually it does take tyler or, or uh dan or someone to be like okay hold hold on right now let's just <laughs> let's calm down like especially making the track listings i have so many songs i record all the demos and i put them in a soundcloud playlist and then i send the playlist out to them and i go okay everybody pick like four or five songs that you really like and let's work on making a track listing or something like that and see what we can build. Um, Cause I've gotten to the point where I don't, I don't, if I have a group of people behind me making something that means something to them, I don't want to be the only one choosing what goes into it, you know? Yeah. I think that's like really cool that it's kind of done that, you know, kind of democratically. Um, but I did also want to, I mean, you mentioned Telltale Heart, and I know that was one that you kind of also, you know, wrote that first verse when you were like 19 and then six years later kind of returned to it. Um, what was it about that song that kind of like led to that uh, rebirth of the song? I think it was just me 
a lot of songs that I write, I, I usually, I'm really good at writing verses. Um, I'm very wordy. And I think that comes from like loving bright eyes when I was younger and like my chemical romance and things that are very like lyrical. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm always writing verses and not so much bridges, but I, I, it takes me a long time to write like a good chorus and a good hook. And so I wrote the first verse of Telltale Heart and I put it away because like, it's, I, I had a very, very bad breakup when I was younger and it really left an ugly mark on my life and it took a long time to get over. Um, and I, a few years later, I kind of found myself falling into similar patterns and I started writing about what, what I was going through and I was like, wait a second, I feel like I've written this before. Like, I feel like I've been here before. So I found that notebook that I'd written the Telltale Heart in and I flipped through it and I found that verse and I was like, oh, you fucking idiot. And like, <laughs> how did this happen to you? And it really was just like, it, I, I don't know why, it just reminded me of that story from Edgar Allan Poe of him going insane because he keeps hearing that sound over and over and over again, but can't figure out where it is or how to get rid of it. <laughs> and that's kind of how it felt of me delving into interpersonal relationships and like love lost in particular. I <laughs> kept running around like a chicken with my head cut off being like, I don't understand why my heart is broken. I don't understand why I let this, let myself get treated. Like, I don't, I don't get how I could have been hurt again. Mm -hmm. And it finally had to, it had to come together in such a way that kind of taught me, like, that I, I just love to hold on to pain. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah, I mean, t with Telltale Heart and In Giving Tree, like, both being kind of, like, literary references, um, is that something that you kind of find yourself um, returning to frequently? And... Um, is it kind of like, do you get the inspiration from those or do you kind of like, you have your own inspiration and then you kind of like see the themes connecting to these other mediums? A little bit of both. Um, I've written a few songs that have like been unrecorded or might might pop up in the future, I want to say. Um, I have one that I tried to write about the bell jar by Sylvia Plath in particular because I just really liked that line in her book, the I hear the old brag of my heart, I am, I am, I am. So I was trying, I've been trying to write a song about that for like five years. Um, I really, I do find inspiration from a lot of film and literature, like everybody else, I guess, um, because I like to find, I love finding patterns. And I feel like, I do believe that while you can have original content, that nothing is truly I'm not about individualism, I guess. I like to believe that we're all kind of part of a bigger pattern, a bigger community. So when I write themes and I write songs out, I always kind of look for what inspired it. So I am sitting on a song called uh, Eternal Sunshine about Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind that I'm excited about. <laughs> um, so I, I, I kind of look at my own behaviors and I look at the things that I'm saying and I'm like, what does that remind me of? Like, what? What, what am I doing here that I've learned or like I've, I've gained from something? Like The Giving Tree, I remember I was writing, take all that I have, or take all I am, take all I have. And I was like, what does that remind me of? And I realized, I was like, oh, I'm the fucking Giving Tree. Cool, that's <laughs> neat. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, you've mentioned, you know, a, a few times the kind of like songs that are, you know, work, you're working on and kind of revising and stuff and how you've, you know, going into this with once you got into the full band, you kind of were thinking with a mind towards the future. Um, what are kind of some of like the next steps uh, that you have in mind? Um, so we are um, talking about, <laughs> I, 
I am a very, uh, I wouldn't say impatient, but I'm a quick paced person, I guess. I, I, so we, we made the EP last May and I remember the moment we played our release show, uh, I was like, okay, I want to start writing the album now. And they were all like, what? Uh, and it's cause I've been, I've been sitting, so everybody's hearing these songs for the first first time but like I was writing the Telltale Heart back in like 2013 so I'm over here like I've heard this song enough like I want to write more I want to get new shit out there uh I never want to play my EP again because I've been playing it since like 2015 like (laughs) (laughs) um so I I personally am starting to write songs for another album (laughs) hopefully like a full length uh for maybe next year um and i already have like a few playlists built of like what i want sounds to kind of evolve into and like where we want to go i know tyler and i've been talking a lot about it and getting excited just about the concept of making more stuff and really we have like nothing but time right now uh i i'm i'm pretty busy with like i'm still working and i'm involved in like the movements and everything but for self-care i think I think it's very important for me to focus on looking at the future, especially with music, because I don't know what the future is going to hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like uh, at the rate you're going, by the time the pandemic's over, we're going to have like a triple record release show. I want to be like Charlie XEX and just keep pumping out albums from my room. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, and you just mentioned, you know, kind of being you know, active within the movements going on. And um, I know like 100% of the album profits are going towards the Split Bail Fund. Um, so I just wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of, you know, talk about, you know, whatever aspects of the movements you'd like or, um, you know, any other organizations or resources that you found uh, to be especially important. I think, yeah, everything. It, um, it's like, I want to talk about it. Uh, so much because I'm so passionate about it. But I also know as a white person, I don't want my voice to be even on the same level or even above any person of color, especially a black person right now, mm-hmm. who's been tirelessly fighting this for their entire lives and generations. Meanwhile, white people are just really starting to actually wake up to everything that's been happening. Um, I, yeah, we've been, all of the proceeds right now for our merch and our albums are going to the Act Blue National Bail Fund so we could free incarcerated people. I'm very passionate about abolishing the prison system. I think 13th Amendment specifically built a clause to allow slavery within the prison systems and that's why prison labor is such an all-time high. I think this country is founded on a deep-rooted racism and hatred for people who aren't white, especially men who aren't white. <laughs> and the sooner that we can defund and abolish these systems that have put in place is the sooner we will see equality and the sooner we can just, I don't know, fix what we've been breaking for hundreds and thousands of years. <laughs> um, and I, the, the more I can continue to do that and the more I can keep fighting to do that, I will. I mean, I'm a white person. So if I'm not using the privilege that I have as not only a white person, but also a, a female present like I'm non-binary but I grew up thinking I was a a woman for the most part uh so white women um I mean 53 percent of white women voted for Trump in his first election so we got a lot of shit wrong with us you know (laughs) um so the sooner white people can use this privilege to lift up black people and indigenous people and people of color and LGBTQ people the sooner we'll be able to actually see true equality rather than just pretend that it's already here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, on 
the kind of uh like the more micro level than like the diy scene what are kind of some of the things that you've been doing or seeing others do that um has really stood out to you i've been seeing a lot of good and the music scene itself is such a particular animal because of the deep-rooted racism that's been going on since the beginning of time with it i mean black people invented rock and roll and country and almost every genre of music black people did and they did it first and they did it better. And then we were like, hey, let's just take this and run with it and never give them any. Like Lady Antebellum right now trying to take Lady A's name and, oh yeah, we totally support black people. Hey, black person, can I just take all your shit and then sue you? Like that kind of performative crap is just getting on my last nerve. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's been really cool to see record labels really stepping up and acknowledging their presence as like signing mostly white bands or cis bands, straight bands and um, zines and blogs usually doing reviews and things about white bands and having them really look inside of themselves and realize like I myself, I'm sitting here realizing that my band, I have, I might be non-binary, but like I have three cis straight men behind me playing with me all the time. Like I recognize that, I like I'm doing something wrong there. I need to fix some things within my own band. And the sooner I can take steps to do that and really look inside of myself and uh, just untackle all or tackle all of that, the sooner I know I will also reach a step further to like, not just speaking all of this shit, but doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's nice to see, like, I know when, once we do get to do shows and touring, I'm not going to do a show or a tour unless we have at least one, band uh where people of color are present and on the stage with us like i don't want to see any more only white bills like i don't want to see a basement full of white men playing noise rock or fucking math rock or shit until 1 a.m texting me to come over at fucking two in the morning after they ignored me all night like i'm sick of it um <laughs> i got a little personal right there <laughs> um but yeah it, so it's nice to see people really owning up and realizing the amount of privilege that they have and what they've been using and what we, I can't just say they, myself is included in that. Um, And the moment we can start dismantling this and also not, we're also realizing how we've been tokenizing black people and people of color in shows. I think that's very important in this movement right now that people aren't trying to just find the quickest person of color or black person or LGBT person to sign or work with because it's trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just, it's important that we not only keep up this momentum, but make it a point to make it permanent. For sure. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, like, especially once shows are able to happen again. Um, and once, you know, I mean, obviously like a, a lot of the protests and the Black Lives Matter movement has really kind of reached uh, a head where it feels like it's consistent and like constantly in your face. Um, but even, I mean, you still see people saying like, oh, even though your timeline's back to normal, I'm like, your timeline's back to normal? <laughs> like mine's not? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how things progress. And I'm, you know, really looking forward to the fact that a lot of the, the shittier people are weeding themselves out by, you know, showing themselves to be shitty people. <laughs> oh my God. There's so like, all the shitty bullshit apologies that I've been seeing musicians make when they get outed as like this like people say like crying about cancel culture and I'm just like um all right JK Rowling uh (laughs) 
calm down there. Maybe if you weren't so shitty, we wouldn't have to yell at you. Have you ever thought about this? Yeah, and if if you made a genuine apology, maybe you wouldn't be canceled. <laughs> like, have you tried being good at being a person? Maybe you should try being good at being a person. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, <laughs> I can't help you not be transphobic until you realize that you're transphobic. Like you need to, I don't get it. Um, a non-binary and like female presenting person in music. I've had my fair share of shitty men and shitty people within music. And it's nice to see less people standing up for them or being silent near them. It's mm -hmm. nice to see more people coming forward and being like, no, this is shitty. We shouldn't be doing this. And all of these abusers that are being like trying to put out their bullshit apologies. Nobody's mm -hmm. believing them anymore because we're, we're, we're sick of that lifestyle. We're sick of, sick of being the people that do stand aside and say, oh, well, they're my friend. They wouldn't do that. I feel like we've kind of hit on a lot of good stuff already, but um, I always like to kind of wrap up by asking for, you know, either a piece of advice or something you've kind of been thinking about that you kind of want to leave the listeners with as like a parting words. I think... My only piece of advice that I could possibly offer right now is for everybody who might be listening is just listen to black organizers, listen to black people leading movements right now, listen to people of color when they tell you that something is racist or something is wrong. Try not to immediately get defensive or question things. Just accept that this might be wrong and educate yourself further on why that is. I just, my only piece of advice is to like, just get rid of, use your white guilt to educate yourself on why you have it. Alas, we've come to the end of another episode. It was a good one though, right? Don't forget to show Riverbeast some love and give Smartmouth a spin early and often. And wear a damn mask so we can get back to normal eventually, okay? A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyInTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyInTheCallPod at gmail.com. Black lives always matter. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.